This is David Ze'ev in Israel, coming to you through the JewishCoffeeHouse.com podcast network and our producer, Scott Kahn. Marking the 70th anniversary of the State of Israel, Bar-Ilan University last week bestowed an honorary doctorate on Malcolm Honlein. The university says of Honlein that over the course of three decades, he has served that organization, the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, at the helm of what is one of the most influential American Jewish organizations. Bar-Ilan says further that ensuring that the voice and the agenda of organized American Jewry resonates in key diplomatic and political circles, and acting as defender and guardian of world Jewry, Honline is a masterful interlocutor between political and communal leaders in Israel, the United States, and the world. His dream of attaining Jewish unity, says Barilan of Honline, is one that he pursues with vigor, authority, and passion. Now, I must add that Honline has been a frequent guest on my programs for decades on Kol Yisrael's English News and Khan English Radio, and now joins us for the first time on the David Ze'ev in Israel podcast at a time when U.S. President Trump's withdrawal from the Iran nuclear deal and the opening of a U.S. embassy in Jerusalem were at the top of the agenda. And we wondered whether there is unity in the Conference of Presidents over these two issues. There is a general consensus on the Iran deal. There were a few organizations that had supported the deal. Most had opposed it in the beginning. And I think most are now assessing what do we do in the wake of the pullout? How do we make it effective? How do we work with them to get sanctions that are meaningful and impactful? How do we help the people in Iran? There are many issues now, and no one takes for granted that uh, the decision will be without consequences. Uh, we believe it will be, and we are trying the best to prepare. We met with people in Washington to discuss this. And on the issue of the embassy, obviously everybody is excited. Everybody feels the um, importance of this moment, this historic uh, moment. But again, there are those who are concerned about the aftermath, what happens the day after. Obviously in the media here, the violence in Gaza is getting the majority of the play and portraying Israel unfairly and in such a distorted way uh, about what is really occurring there. So that sort of is mm-hmm. taken over the uh, precedence after the very moving and very impressive ceremony yesterday. You started with the Iran issue and you spoke of the consequences which might evolve as a result of the president's decision to pull out of the Iran nuclear deal. What are those consequences? And you said that on Monday of this week you were in Washington. What were the results? And what do you get as a feel from the president's team? Is he willing, perhaps, to, if the deal has changed, get back into it? I think if they can restructure a deal that is impactful, that really addresses all the concerns without the sunset clauses, that will really make sure that Iran does not get a nuclear weapon, that will also address its regional aggression, support for terrorism, human rights violations. I think that the administration would be willing to enter into serious negotiations for that. Look, when companies have to make a choice between dealing with the United States and dealing with Iran, it's not a hard choice. Iran's economy is, in fact, sinking very fast. If you look at its currency, it's at the lowest point ever. If you look at the uh, economic conditions inside the country, Unemployment amongst young people is about 40%. So there is a facade of the wealth, part of it because they got 
what, $100, $150 billion uh, out of the JCPOA. They still have oil revenue. They still have enough money to support the demonstrations in Gaza, to support Hezbollah, to, to, to invest in building rockets and other uh, facilities inside Syria. But overall, it is the people who are paying the price for it. So I think the United States has a lot of leverage. And what I meant by talking about the consequences was, what do the Europeans do? What do others do? But the fact is that America is what counts. And I believe that we can leverage this now by showing leadership, as the United States has, that dictators respond to strength and that they take advantage of weakness. But what about the Europeans? You mentioned them. Would the United States really impose sanctions against European countries or European companies, which would do business after this interim period with Iran? Absolutely. And they have been imposing sanctions. And there are different uh, hiatus of time for different categories of companies. But they are working on more sanctions. They have all along, even during the Obama administration, opposed uh, sanctions on some individual companies and people, especially in Iran. But now I think you will absolutely see that companies like Airbus, if they decide not to to abide by the uh, sanctions and seek to continue to sell uh, planes, which are not really used just for commercial purposes, we know that they've been flying troops and material into uh, Syria, then there will be consequences Mm -hmm. for them. As for the embassy issue, there are those who are saying, and you can tell me whether this is true or not, that there is a payback, that the Trump administration will, perhaps already has made demands of the Netanyahu government, perhaps an agreement to withdraw from Arab neighborhoods of East Jerusalem, or otherwise to move ahead with a peace process, which might not be so palatable to the Netanyahu government. Well, I think we'll have to wait and see what the proposals are. They are being worked on, I think, in the next month, maybe a little bit longer, we may see it put forward. The problem is not the demands on the Netanyahu government. The problem is whether they have a Palestinian interlocutor who will sit down and negotiate, one who does not try to distort and deny the Holocaust, one who does not deny Israel's right to exist, who, who denies Jewish history, as he has done just in the last few days, who continues his bombastic uh, attacks. Uh, I can tell you that in the Arab world, when we meet with people, they express their dismay at the behavior of the Palestinian uh, leadership, at the kleptocracy, the stealing of the money, the fact that the events in Gaza, again, underline, you don't see big demonstrations in other Arab countries, despite what happened in Gaza, because they have used up their goodwill. They have really very little support today because people feel that they are responsible for the fact that we don't have negotiations and that they're the, the failure of every effort till now. So let me turn the question on its head a bit. Do you think that President Trump, when he made the decision, and of course has now followed through with the decision to move an embassy, to establish an embassy, I say I'm careful with my wording because of the fact that there is still going to be an embassy in Tel Aviv, but the ambassador and certain things are going to be now in Jerusalem, and that is certainly an historic step. Is that a Trump move where he is going for broke, where he is trying to play to his voter base to show I'm different, I take moves that other people promise but never follow through on, but that in fact he has not thought this through. Has the President of the United States thought through what happens now? I think that it's not just the President, it's the people around him and those that we met with clearly are very sober about this. 
he didn't just move quickly. Remember, it was last December when he announced the decision. And it's a promise he made the January before that, after he was elected or even, and even before he was elected. So it's not something that they just uh, moved precipitously. I think that they made a commitment. They understand the importance of, of this uh, recognition. It's just recognizing historic wrong. He, and, he, and again, reiterated that he is uh, supporting negotiations, that he didn't rule out anything, that he didn't preempt any decision. So I think he, in his, the remarks that he made yesterday and all along the remarks that it made, tried to underscore that. So while, yes, it does please constituencies in the United States and constituencies of his, but the fact is that it, that it was a decision promised by many presidents, and he's the first to implement it. Malcolm Honline of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, speaking to us from New York. When Honline was bestowed the honorary doctorate at Bar-Ilan University, he helped them launch the university's Impact Center for Research on Judaism in Israel and North America. The director-designate of the new center is Professor Adam Furziger. The point of departure is that there's a growing divide, rift, alienation that I've observed, and I'm not the only one. It's in the papers and on the radio, media, etc., television, internet, daily almost. There's a story about a, a Bronfman or religious leaders from throughout the spectrum of American Jewry, as well as Israeli leaders who there seems to be a, a, an increasing degree of distinction, difference, lack of ability to communicate between Judaism and Jewish leadership and Jewish um, frameworks as they're developing in the state of Israel and the parallels in the United States from across the religious What are you spectrum. talking about? Conversion, and the Western Wall, those kinds of issues or what? Sometimes those are some of the issues, Western Wall, conversion, leadership, acknowledgement of uh, authority abroad, the relationship between centralized authority in the state of Israel and what goes on at a local level there, denominations, a broad spectrum of issues. And um, I've been studying this for a while. I've written articles and uh, studies, books about both the Israeli religious scene and the American or North American one. And um, I came to the conclusion that there's a need to rethink the paradigm. And uh, I'm an academic, but I'm an, I'm an engaged academic. I work on things that have historical context, but I'm trying to look at the present and hopefully the future. And the way that I do that is by trying to, to think about things out of the box using the tools that I've developed. And this center is focused on that. We're trying to gather the best people we have in Bar-Ilan and as well as recruiting people from the outside to rethink the dynamic. When you say now, from the outside, um, you're talking about getting people in North America, obviously, then involved in this as well, not just having Israeli academics, well, let's people say. People in North America would be involved on multiple levels. On, on the uh, first level, there are people that we are going to be engaging with, speaking with, learning from. We plan to do cooperation with other universities and with other leaders, and I'll get to that momentarily. Mm-hmm. Also, we hope that this will be something that all sides will recognize is very important and they will support us because uh, we feel that this is really about the Jewish future. This isn't 
I, I'm a big, big supporter, identify very much with empirical research, but this is taking empirical research and, and applying it in practice. But I want to just say two points about the center and what makes it unique, and then I'd be happy sure, to, sure. to move forward. The first is that most of the rhetoric or mantras that, that one hears are, we're all one people, we love each other, achdut, unity, etc. And those are beautiful ideas, but they don't really take us very far. And um, what I've learned over the years is that you have to focus first on distinctions, on differences, on what makes us not the same, and then think about what might bring us closer together. And what our center is predicated on is the assumption that a Judaism that has developed the last 70 years in a sovereign Jewish state is by definition distinct in significant ways from a Judaism along the entire spectrum, from ultra-Orthodoxy to Reform Reconstructionists, etc., that is uh, emerging or is, has evolved in a privatized, multicultural, voluntaristic separation of state and religion environment. Taking that as a point of departure, there's an adversarial nature to this, and it, it makes a lot of sense that there will be tensions and confrontations and conflict. And instead of being shocked at that, we have to assume that that is, that is part of the animal, that is part of the nature of this dynamic. Then we can think more clearly about where the overlaps. We can think where there are common interests. There's almost a diplomatic perspective to this whole thing. Now, we want to develop three different tools for addressing this. One is fundamental research, thinking about this from the perspective of sovereign Judaism versus diaspora, more privatized voluntaristic Judaism, and that will be creating a laboratory for interdisciplinary research. The second is training leadership through a new MA program, which will have 10 Israeli students and 10 American students each year studying together and share learning from their teachers, learning from research and learning from each other, cultivating leadership. And finally, we want to develop a type of framework for negotiation using Bar-Ilan's very, very uh, unique position as an academic institution with tremendous convening power to bring leadership together to discuss the hard issues in a way which can move the ball I like forward. your terminology, negotiations. We're not talking about Israel and the Palestinians. We're talking about Jews versus Jews, basically. Can we get the two sides closer together? Or can we? Is that a question? Are you even trying to do something like that? Or is it a foregone conclusion, as you've indicated, that we're just different and we have to live with those differences? Well, I think all people are different. I think that uh, spouses are different. Right, families but the have very basis of being a diaspora Jew and versus an Israeli Jew. I'm more than happy to think about this in that in, in that context of difference, because I think that acknowledging those differences, as I said, is the point of departure. And uh, it doesn't um, forego the, the, the similarities, the common interests, the hopes for more and more sharing, etc. But it can't be utopian. It can't be based on some sort of Shangri-La. It can't be based on something which is not reality driven. So yes, absolutely, there are differences. And the model that from a sort of a metaphorical level that I like to use is the, the ancient model of Jerusalem and Babylon, Yerushalayim and Babel, where we have these two centers which developed in the ancient period. And uh, there was a lot of uh, conflict, tension between them, friction. Nonetheless, 
There were also dispensations made from a halachic perspective, from an ideological perspective, in order to allow for those two great communities to grow simultaneously and learn from and each other. And then to culminate now, so can we say that the theory and practice of which you discuss here right now, can it be applied to what a lot of our listeners are probably thinking, and that's what we refer to at the very beginning, when we're talking about the great tension right now, perhaps unprecedented, between an Israeli prime minister and the North American Jewish community over such issues as conversions to Judaism and egalitarian prayer at the Western Wall, to the fact that we have people each side boycotting the other when one wants to have a meeting with the other. Do you have confidence in opening up the center? And again, you seem to say that's why you're opening up the center, that you can in some way, again, with realizing that we're different, don't try to you know, convert, to use that term again, but in a different way, don't make a diaspora Jewry an Israeli Jew or the vice versa, that somehow we can get each other to understand and tachlis, as we say, bottom line, reach gaps that are much narrower in these negotiations that are going on at the very top, again, involving the Israeli prime minister and others like him. Yes, I am confident. I'm confident that it's it's something that you have to work at from different directions. I'm starting from confident that what's what's being done till now, it's not working. I think that we have to redraw the, the framework, and that's what we're starting with. But I am confident that we can move this. I'm not a politician. I'm an academic and a person who, who focuses on bringing together reality and uh, out-of-the-box theory in a meaningful way. I try to look at things analytically. So I don't need to make promises in the way that sometimes politicians <laughs> do just to uh, pacify people. But I think that we have a really good um, foundation of individuals, of, of ideas. I, I have a pretty good track record for uh, making some good things happen that I'm, I'm proud of. And here I have to uh, point out that it's very clear that I was born in the United States and grew up there and have lived, I've lived here for 31 years. And um, there's much that I've internalized as an Israeli, but one of the things that I brought with me from America is, is the belief that this is a long-term haul. And we don't have to always worry that tomorrow we're not gonna exist. We have to have confidence that this is a long-term plan and therefore we have to build things with a good foundation, good intellectual foundation, institutional foundation, theoretical foundation. This is something that unfortunately is not done in many cases because in Israel there's always a sense that we have to run forward. We have to make it happen yesterday. Now there's a lot of great things in that energy, but often we we skip steps and we pay the price. And I think that there really was never significant thinking done as to how to create a healthy dynamic. We have tools in a globalized world of transportation, of communication. Even the fact that we're communicating this way right now is tremendous. And we don't use them properly. And uh, we have to. So I'm, I'm confident or cautiously confident. I'm optimistic. But I have a lot of work ahead of me. And I'm very, very geared up to getting to work on this. The director-designate of the Bar Ilan University Impact Center for Research on Judaism in Israel and North America, Professor Adam Furziger. You've been listening to David Ze'ev in Israel, coming to you through the JewishCoffeeHouse.com podcast network. And thanks to our producer, Scott Kahn.